Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. Eric Hanscom is an intellectual property attorney and has been for the last 20 years. Eric has utilised his law degree to gain experience in multiple separate facets of patent, trademark and copyright law. We've been asked so many questions about copyright and we thought that Eric would make the perfect person to ask. And Eric has experience on both ends because he's also a drone pilot and he has experienced some of his own images being used without permission. Enjoy the interview. Thank you, Eric, so much, first of all, for joining us. We're so appreciative of this because lots of our listeners have been um, asking us so many questions on copyright. So we thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, before we get into all of that, can you tell us a little bit about you and what it is that you do? Sure. Well, my name is Eric Hanscom. I'm an intellectual property attorney out here in Carlsbad, California. And I'm, I'm looking out the window right now and it's a bright, sunny day. Uh, with no rain in sight. And uh, so anyway, I live here in Southern California near the ocean. And I've been an attorney for about 25 years. And I've been doing intellectual property law pretty much exclusively for the last 20 or so. Uh, Intellectual property law means basically patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm probably primarily a patent attorney. I do a lot of work in the action sports industry like surfing and uh, skiing and things like that but actually my my biggest client is in the aftermarket automobile wheel mark yeah industry and they make uh, they make wheels that you can buy and put on your car and kind of change the look of your car uh, but I'm I'm what's considered a generalist that is that you know, I've done patents ranging from software to surfboards and I really don't have a specialty. I was a member of a firm for a few years, and I left that about a year and a half ago to get back on my own. And so, you know, I, I basically enjoy the wide variety of work that uh, my my current job brings me. In terms of trademarks, I do a lot of work with, again, the action sports industry. So I've done some stuff for wetsuit companies and things like that. And in, in copyright, uh, I've... I, I'm I'm a drone photographer as a sideline, kind of as a hobby, and so uh, I've been copywriting a lot of my own drone photographs. And sometimes, you know, when I'm sitting in the office and I get in a really bad mood, I'll get on Google Image Search and I'll look for people who are ripping off my photos and I'll write them <laughs> nasty letters. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I I have experienced copyright from a firsthand basis. Uh, on a number of occasions, and rarely is it a really positive experience, uh, particularly when the other people live in other countries. There's really not that much you can do about it. But um, I, I have actually ended up with some some pretty good discussions with people about, hey, look, if you're going to steal my photographs, at least uh, you know attribute it to me. And mm. uh, most most people are pretty good about that. 
So what exactly is copyright? What does it cover? Sure. Well, if, if I could, let me go into just intellectual property real quickly because I find that with a lot of people, there's a lot of misunderstandings between uh, a patent, a trademark, a copyright, and a trade secret. And so you can get a utility patent on the function of an item or a design patent on the shape of an item. And these patent law is basically designed to cover ideas. So if we didn't have patents, there'd really be no reason to be a scientist or a designer or a researcher because whatever you made, people could just take it. Trademark law is designed more to protect the consumers. So when you buy a certain product with a brand name on it, you know it's from that particular brand. Uh, copyright is more to protect artists. And you know, in the days of your William Shakespeare, um, playwrights created these beautiful works of art, and musicians created beautiful operas and things like that. And <clears throat> they, be, they initially, they had no protection. And then they said, well, wait a minute. If I, instead of, you know, writing Romeo and Juliet, if I raise cattle, I could leave my cattle to my kids. So why can't I do something with my uh, creative works? And so eventually they got um, 20 years after the date of first publication of the work. And then this got expanded and expanded and um, uh, to encompass, well, at least in the U.S., it's the life of the author plus 70 years. So you get quite a long time of protection over your artistic creations. And the term artistic creations, when it began, it mainly dealt with plays and music and things like that. But at least in the last 10 or 15 years, having a website became extremely important for business. I know I've been kicking around the legal world long enough to remember the days when there was this thing called the internet that we sort of knew about, but none of us had websites. And you um, you basically got a law office on the walk between the parking lot and the courthouse, hoping that people who walked by your building would remember you and come back and give you business. And you had a threefold brochure and a business card. And you joined like Lions Clubs and Rotary Clubs to try to get business. And now that we're in the World Wide Web, uh, I've never even met probably about 60% of my clients. We do everything, you know, over the phone or by email. And so a website is more and more important and websites can also be protected by copyrights um, the other area that i find quite interesting is when you're creating packaging well it used to be that packaging was you know associated with your product and you buy it in stores well now again you can see it on the internet and you can you know do do scans and um you know google image searches and things like that so it's much easier to find if somebody is stealing your packaging. So packaging is another area that you can copyright. Uh, so again, with copyright, you're protecting artistic creations, but the, the breadth of the definition of artistic creation seems to be growing every time Bill Gates or Apple uh, thinks up something new to do with computers. <laughs> and then the last type of intellectual property is a trade secret. And a trade secret is something that's considered so valuable that you don't want to patent it because if you patent something, once the patent expires, it becomes public knowledge. And so, for example, the formula for Coca-Cola and the method by which it's made, that's remained a trade secret for the last 160 years for the Coca-Cola company, which was actually a very brilliant business move because if they had patented it, everybody could copy 
the formula for it and the exact method by which it was made. And so I find that with a lot of a lot of people come up to me with things like tamale recipes and perfume recipes and things like that. And I say, well, you know, the problem is that people are making tamales for probably 5,000 years. So our chance of getting a patent on your tamale recipe is not very good. So why don't you just call it a trade secret and say that it's too valuable to patent? <laughs> so oh, that, a, that kind of yeah, gives you sort clever. of an overview of where copyright sits here. Yeah, so it's a huge sort of, it's a vast word really, isn't it, in a way? It, but, it is. But going back to then, uh, say, art um, and music and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, so once a piece of work has been created, then how long does that copyright exist? Well, it depends on where you are. Here in the United States, um, it's generally the life of the author plus 70 years. And um, I don't know if, if any of your uh, – by the way, do we have live listeners or is this just recording? No, no, no. Don't worry. <laughs> you can edit. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I, I don't care about that. I'm just wondering. I, I was going to ask your people a, a question, which which I will anyway. But So when you listen to this recording, does any of do any of you know what the number one single most important character in the history of U.S. copyright is? So I'll, I'll, I'll let it wait for a while. Then I'll give you a hint. Um, it has a tail and two ears. Its first name is Mickey. Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Mickey Mouse has personally rewritten copyright law in the United States because once Mickey comes up to become public domain, a certain large company in Anaheim, California, lobbies Congress and we get an extension of the Copyright Act. So, um, you know, it's if 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 you just have a single author creating something. The copyright in the U.S. is good for the author's life plus 70 years. If you have uh, joint authors, so for example, with the, um, with the Beatles, um, the, uh, since John Lennon and Paul McCartney co-wrote most of their songs, the copyright is good since John has unfortunately passed away. The copyright will be good uh, for 70 years after the death of Paul McCartney. And if you have a work for hire where you have an employee, an employer who hires a bunch of people to do something, it can either be um, 70, 95 years from the first publication of this work or 120 years after the creation. Now, as a practical matter, unless you're John Lennon and Paul McCartney, a whole lot of people probably don't really care when their copyright expires. I mean, I don't, I've copyrighted. Um, various presentations I've done to groups and things like that. I doubt if those are going to have a whole lot of value, particularly 70 years after my death. In the UK, you've got fairly similar, uh, fairly similar time limits. Um, you know, every, basically in any civilized country, you're going to have a certain number of years to protect your work. So in, in UK, if it's uh, literature, drama or musicals or art, it's going to be 70 years after the end of the calendar year in which the last author dies. So again, using the John Lennon, Paul McCartney um, scenario, it's going to be 70 years after Paul McCartney's death. Um, your, your broadcast here, and I'm actually reading this from your website, it's, it's going to be 50 years after the first broadcast. So you will, once you broadcast this podcast, uh, you've got 50 years protection. Um, if you make a film in the UK, it's going to be 70 years after the death of the last director, composer, or author. 
So for films, especially if you have something written by a relatively young author and directed by a relatively old director, uh, that old director could kind of ride his or his or her heirs could ride on the coattail of the young author. And for magazines, it's 25 years after the end of the calendar year in which it was first published. So whether you're in the U.S. or the U.K., you get quite a long time uh, during which your your works are protected. And in, in terms of – go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask about – because I know in the U.K. we can't register copyright in the U.K. anyway, mm-hmm. but you can in the U.S. And yes. I believe – well, I know because I've done yeah, it. You've done but it. So, someone from the U.K. can register copyright in the U.S., can't they? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm. It's it's eight eight thirty here in California. I just had my second cup of coffee there. Yes, you can <laughs> register, and anybody can register. It's a fairly easy process. You just get on the U.S. Copyright Office website, and then it kind of walks you through um, the the scenario, and you have to kind of pick what type of work you're registering. Then you have to put down the name of the author. Um, if you're doing it as a work for hire, if you did it yourself, if you've brought in some things that you want to not have part of the copyright. And then when you're, when you're doing it yourself on the U.S. Library of Congress website, one thing to keep in mind is that it will ask you for your money before you submit your specimen, which is kind of freaky because, you know, you fill out this form, then you hit, yes, I, I want to register this copyright. And then the USP, uh, the, the Library of Congress says, okay, great, give me 55 bucks. And you're like, hey, <laughs> wait a minute, wait, I haven't even showed you what I want to protect yet. I, I don't want to give you my money, but you got to give me your money. And then they give you another screen and then you drag and drop what you want to protect onto the screen. They got so the priorities. A, yeah, so it's a little disconcerting <laughs> yeah. there, but but just realize you've got to pay your money before you show them your specimen. Don't, don't worry about it. And even if there's a mistake, um, you can you can get online. You can fix a mistake, right? I just can ask because I think some of our audience might be interested in design registration, yes, and copyright. I know we have that in the UK, and I think in the US, a similar thing is a design patent. A design patent, the- correct. So, if someone say was making ceramics or something yes. like that, which way would they go? Copyright or or design patents? Or- they could well, they could they could go both ways. Um, let's. Uh, if if you have somebody who is making ceramics and they make a whole lot of the same particular shape, they could certainly do a copyright on the website or the photographs of their ceramics. And they could also do a design patent on the shape of the ceramic. Now, this gets into – with everything, there's always a legal side and a business side. So in theory, if you're a complete artist – in the ceramic studio and you never make two of the same thing, you can go ahead and you can get a design patent on each one of your works. The problem is unless you're the, the ceramic version of Paul McCartney or, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or the Rolling Stones, probably it's not worth spending the money patenting each one of your works. Um, but again, you know, if you find that you're a world famous ceramic person and that people are copying the shapes of, you know, your latest works, it may be worth getting a design patent on each. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, the copyright, at least in the United States, the copyrights usually get dealt with relatively quickly, usually three weeks to three months. They review it. 
in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, a design patent will be examined usually somewhere between seven months and a year and a half wow. after filing. And so for your your ceramic example, if you're a world-famous person who makes clay sculptures that go in museums, well, that's going to be around for 100, 100 years, 150 years probably um, because you're a world-famous ceramic artist. But if you're, say, a clothing designer, well, especially if you're, say, a clothing designer for teenage girls' fashions, um, <laughs> you know, that by the time your, your design patent gets examined, probably nobody wants to buy your teenage girl fashion anymore because they found something else to buy. And so, you know, the business side of this kicks in and you have to look at, am I really going to make enough money off my design to make it worth patenting it? So we've had a couple of um, questions. In fact, we've had quite a few questions from our listeners um, that they yes. wanted us to ask you on their sure. behalf. Um, <clears throat> some of these are Instagram names, I think. So we've had a question yeah. from, <laughs> from Bervantil Ber and Colleen Beers, and they would like to know what's the best way to protect your original art from being copied? What I would do there is, uh, first of all, I'd, I'd ask yourself an honest question. Are you the Paul McCartney of your field or are you a struggling artist? And if you're the Paul McCartney, then you want to file the U.S. I love the U.S. Copyright Office website. It's very easy to use. I'd file a registered copyright on every one of your works. If, on the other hand, you're just starting out and say you're a garage band, then you might want to register a copyright just on your first record. Put the whole thing in there in one record, save yourself some money, even though it's only $55, which I guess would be about 35 pounds um, each. If, if you're incredibly creative and you're, you know, you're creating a new artwork every day, registering each one of those, that's going to, that's going to add up quickly, but you definitely want to register your copyright. I see, you know, I, I've seen an awful lot of artists and they say, uh, you know, don't I get a copyright just by creating something? Well, yes, you do. But at least in the U.S., that's it's it's a common law copyright, which means that if, you know, if I take a drone photograph and somebody uses it on their website, if I don't have a registered copyright, I have to approach them with, you know, if I sued them with a lawsuit that said, you know, you, you stole my work. Uh, and then the question would be, well, Eric, how much were you damaged by this and how much did the other side benefit from it? So we kind of start at zero and I have to prove the damage of this company. I, you know, I had some water company steal one of my, my uh, drone photographs of the ocean and put it on their website. How much did I, was I injured? Well, probably not at all. Um, how much was the other side benefited? Well, they looked like a kind of a small rinky dink little operation out of the backwoods of our Appalachia. So they probably didn't make a whole lot of money that I could attribute to their stealing my work. And so I would be in a position where if I went to court, uh, the other side would probably look at me and say, you know, you can't be serious about continuing this lawsuit. Whereas if you have a registered copyright in the United States, you have a theory called statutory damages, where if somebody does a knowing and willful infringement of a registered copyright, you can begin a lawsuit for $150,000 for each infringement. 
And now you're not going to get $150,000. But back when I used to do litigation, we had a couple of cases that settled about halfway between zero and $150,000. One of them was for somebody who stole one sentence from my client's website. Another was for somebody who copied one of my client's packagings and displayed it at a trade show for a day. So obviously, if you have a registered copyright, it's a heck of a lot easier to go to the other side and say, okay, we're starting at $150,000. Go ahead and try to talk me down from there, as opposed to going in at $0 and trying to convince the other side that you've actually got a case. So uh, long story short, I would register your copyright. And again, um, if you can do economies of scale on this, I would do it. If on the other hand, you have one picture or one sculpture, or one whatever that is just amazing, you might want to consider an individual copyright on that. I think you covered, we had a next question about um, putting work on social media and is it enough to put the copyright mark on everything you post? Yeah. I think you've pretty much cop uh, covered that, haven't you? Because yes. basically, uh, yeah. yeah, unless we're world famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I do when I'm teaching classes is I can, I can send you a, a picture of this if you'd like to put it up on your website. But I, I draw this this very amateurish picture of a pig and I, I, I'll send this to you. You can put it on your website if you'd okay, like. Fine. And, and I, I put a C next to it. And I say, I own this pig. And then I, I yell at the class. I say, everybody put down your cell phones. Nobody take a picture of this pig. I own this pig. But because I just have a common law copyright, if you do take pictures of the pig, there's really nothing I can do to you. But if I have a registered copyright on my pig, it's, uh, it's a, an entirely different ballgame because we start talking at $150,000. I've always found as well that when I look at artists' websites and they have put a watermark across their yes. image, I think it's um, off-putting, to be honest. It's, it's, I see that in drone photography. And there's, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road to hoe because I, you know, I've, been, I've been ripped off hundreds and hundreds of times, and it's annoying. Mm. But at the same time, if you put – a watermark down in the lower right hand or left hand corner, it's very easy for somebody just to crop it out. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, if you put you know a big scrawling signature across the front of the uh, the, the drawing, so so nobody can possibly ever use it, you're also ruining the drawing. And I, you know, I I have some qualms about the arrogance that shows. That's why I would never do it because I don't think. You know, I don't think any of my photographs are like, you know, the next Picasso. So I'm not going to you know, put my name across it as though I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so great that anybody should want to buy my photograph just because I took it. No, I, I, know, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. The, uh, the other thing I've heard is if you put very small photographs so people can see it, but when you blow it up, it looks terrible. That you know, That's another way that you can do it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. You can sort of just put a smaller image, but then there are some people that go to the other to go such an extreme where it's like almost yeah. like a postage stamp, and then it's not worth putting it up there anyway. No, no, so, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a balance, isn't it? But, um, it is a total balance. <laughs> now we've had a lot of people asking one particular question. Yes. Um, which is if somebody buys your painting, yes, who owns the copyright? Okay, that's that's a good question. Um. And it's, it's, it's a nasty, nasty situation. 
I had a case a number of years ago where my client uh, hired a sculptor to make him a sculpture. And to do the sculpture, the artist had to make a mold. And he did not, the, the client did not make the sculptor sign a work for hire agreement in which the sculptor agreed to give all the intellectual property to the person paying for it. So after this, this client paid a lot of money for a sculpture, he noticed others were popping up on the internet. He went back to the artist and said, Hey, what are you doing? And the sculptor said, well, because I didn't sign a work for hire agreement, you own your sculpture, but I own the mold so I can make more sculptures from it. And so that was a very painful lesson for this particular client. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to make something and sell it, unless you specifically sign over the copyright to the buyer or it's done as a work for hire, then the artist would generally retain the rights. So if, say, for example, um, somebody bought one of your works, could mm-hmm. they make legal copies of it and sell those? Well, in Are theory... Are you talking the, about prints? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In theory, in theory, no, because the right to reproduce the work lies with the copyright holder. If I remain the copyright holder and there's nothing in my sales contract that says anything to the contrary, I'm the one who retains the rights to reproduce it. So I can tell the person, hey, you just bought one copy. That's that's it. It's a bit like your sculpture um, yes. and your client. Now, yeah. Now, one thing, let me, let me throw in here too. Uh, I've run into an awful lot of problems with stock photo places. So, you know, a lot of people when they're making websites, you'll buy stuff from stock photo companies and they have these marvelous catalogs of millions of photographs. The the two areas where I've run into problems here was when my client will buy a photo from a stock photo place and they won't read the fine print because sometimes the fine print says you're buying this photo on a one-time basis to put on t-shirts and you know and it's like you know 25 page contract and the the if you don't read it you're going to miss this part it'll say you know you're buying this photo for a one-time use on up to 10,000 t-shirts but it doesn't give you the right to put it on a website it doesn't give you the right to make more than the 10,000 t-shirts or it says you can you're buying this photo for a one-time use on a website if you change the website you have to buy the photo again and people don't read that and so oftentimes when they're buying stock photography they will violate the terms of their purchase and they won't realize they're doing it so that's the first area the second area is at least in the US some of the stock photography places are terrible about record keeping and so if you're going to buy stock photography keep that receipt in about 25 different places and make sure you keep a, a copy of the contract because I've had two cases where, you know, stock photography house um, has their, you know, these, these bottom feeding contingency fee attorneys write my client and say, you know, you, you, uh, you've inappropriately used this photograph, um, you know, you pay us $1,500 to settle the case. And, um, we'll come up with the receipt, show them the receipt. And they'll say, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Oh, so God. 
Yeah. <laughs> so keep it, keep your records, keep your records and read very, very carefully because when you buy something, you think you're buying it, but you may not be really buying it. You may be renting a single use under extremely limited terms. So what exactly then can you do about it if someone copies or uses your work without permission? If we were to use an example where maybe you've painted something or drawn something and then you discover that perhaps um, a company has used that image to advertise something or... sure. What, what would you do about that? What can you do about that? <laughs> well, I, I've been in that position numerous times. Um, if they are outside of the United States, there's very little I can do about it. Realistically, um, there are a number of copyright conventions that most of the countries in what I would consider the civilized countries of the world have signed on. There's a Berne Convention. There's actually a Geneva Convention on copyrights as well as on warfare. And so... In theory, a U.S. copyright is honored and recognized throughout most of the rest of the world. But if somebody rips off your painting in, say, Bulgaria, are you really going to fly to Bulgaria to try to enforce your rights? Or are you going to try to fly to China when a lot of the companies are you know, owned under shell companies, which are owned under shell companies? Um, is it really worth your time to go after them? Uh, so what? What I would do, if they're in your country, then I would figure out what you want out of it. In other words, would you like them to license the use of your art? And if so, I would write them or have a lawyer write them and say, hey, <laughs> this is my art. I've got a registered copyright or you know, I have a copyright on it, depending on your, your status. I see it here on your web page. Send them a copy of the web page so that they know that you have um, – made a copy of it so they can't just change it and pretend it never happened. And normally I would license out my photographs for a hundred dollars a year. Um, you know, what I'd like from you is if you give me a hundred dollars a year for the next five years, I'll forgive the past infringement or something like that. Um, if they write back and say, as they have with me, they say, Oh, I'm sorry. It was a mistake. Then you say, well, okay. Um, you know, who is my recourse against? Is it against you or is it against your web developer or both of you? Oh, it's against both of you because you hired the web developer. And that usually gets them to, uh, you know, either acknowledge your photograph if that's what you want or pay you some money. Oh, interesting. I don't know if you saw this, Eric. There was something online on Instagram and um, a load of artists were getting ripped off and people were making T-shirts from their designs. yes. And it basically was like people have set up bots. So they spot yeah. when, when someone says, we want this on a T-shirt. So yes. what they, did you see what they started doing though? I no, thought, I haven't seen that. But I, I, I please, please explain to me. I know that my drone photographs have ended up on puzzles in China and on T-shirts. Oh, <laughs> puzzles. Well, they, yes. Puzzles. These art, artists decided that they, what they would do was they would create T-shirts saying, I stole this from... <laughs> And the and they'd get all their audience to go in and say, "I want this on a T-shirt." So yeah. the bots would pick it up, and then oh. they'd print all these. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! Things. That's yeah. hilarious. So you should I, try it. Well, I, I think, but, but <laughs> what I what I might do is I might put on the photograph. Um, I, I I would really like to see this on a T-shirt, and I acknowledge that I'm 
committing a knowing and willful infringement under statutory damages, and I hereby agree to pay Eric $150,000 for each T-shirt I make. Yeah, wait, I, maybe I should give that a try. Yeah, it's definitely a very big T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's a rough one because, again, you know, in, in, in everything in law, there's a strictly legal side and then there's a practical business side. And these two sides often conflict. And it kind of depends upon, uh, you know, how well-known you are, how rich you are, and your appetite for litigation. And so what you can do is not necessarily always what you want to do. Yeah. Sadly enough. I've got a question from Art by Jackie P. And she says, where does an artist stand on using magazine photos in mixed media collages? Okay. That's that's a good – in the U.S., well, let's see. With both the U.S. and U.K., we both have laws – to protect copyright. However, there are excuses, defenses to copyright infringement. And in the United States, this is called fair use. In UK, you call it fair dealing. And there's some there's some differences between the two, but it's it's basically a defense you can use under certain circumstances to being accused of uh, infringing somebody else's copyright. And so one of the factors that they look at in the United States is whether it was transformative. Another factor is how much did you take? Um, and so in somebody who uses collages, uh, did they transform the work by adding a whole bunch of other uh, collages to it? And did they take all of the picture or did they just take part of it? Uh, the other thing is whether or not it could be considered parody or criticism. Um, now, a, a, a parody would be where you're making, you're kind of poking fun at something, and nobody could possibly, uh, nobody could possibly think that you're the original artist. And then criticism is a comparison. So, for example, if you made a collage and you used, say, pictures of war to make Mother Teresa's face. You know, I, I think you'd have a very good, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have a very good argument that you, the artist, you transformed this work because you took pictures of war and turned it into a peaceful person. On the other hand, if you take um, some recent, uh, the, say the the uh, ten most recent Andy Warhol pictures and put them in a collage and just said, you know, this is Andy, and you tried to sell it. Well, it didn't really transform anything. You just kind of took the individual pictures. So what you'd want to do there is you'd want to look at recent case law under transformative works. Did you transform it enough? And I run into this a lot. I have some friends who are uh, surf photographers, and they will often take a photograph that is, you know, they'll take a photograph that becomes a fairly famous photograph. And somebody else will uh, basically put that on a slide, put it up on an, on an easel, and paint that picture, but they'll add their own kind of artistic interpretation of it. And there it becomes, you know, was this, was this really you know, transformative? Is it a parody? And so, you know, somebody took one of my, my client's pictures, and instead of putting a surfer, uh, do you know about toe-in surfing? No, no. Okay, toe in surfing is for really big waves. Uh, 
and I haven't served really big waves. I've served, I was born in Hawaii, so I've served sort of big waves, but not really big waves. To surf really big waves, you have to paddle this 11 or 12 foot long, very heavy board just to have a shot at taking off and making it down the face of a wave. So um, about 15 years ago, they figured out, well, let's just take personal watercraft and we'll tow the surfer into the big waves. And that way the surfer can ride a small board and still have fun surfing the wave. And it'll be a lot safer because instead of having to drop down the face of the 60 or 70 foot wave and hope that you make it to the bottom and manage to turn, you can start surfing the minute they pull you in. So anyway, if you if you took a famous surf photographer and took his or her most famous work and took out the surfer and you put Santa surfing aboard being towed in by the reindeer who are all driving personal watercraft, I think that would be you know very effectively transformative because nobody could possibly think that this was a photograph. Yeah, you're not trying to imitate it. You're just exactly. You're, yeah, you're just doing something very different with it. Yeah, right. It was a parody of it. It's and kind of like being inspired. The difference between being inspired, exactly. isn't it? And yes, and copying. You get into that in music an awful lot because with music, I mean, you're you're dealing with a certain number of notes. Exactly. And so yeah. There, there's, you know, that the and the prior art. You know, we we go back to Beethoven, Mozart, and Brahms. I mean. These were some seriously smart dudes who made some seriously good music, and they made a lot of it. So, exactly, you know, you, uh, Bell's Canon in D serves as the root of a whole lot of very famous songs. As a matter of fact, the Russian national anthem. If you just go to the the keynotes there, it's you know, it's kind of like wow, Paco Bell. Um, and so, how much do you have to transform a song? to be transformative because you know there are all sorts of lawsuits going around particularly here in the u.s with some fairly famous works mm. um and and yet if you if you take a a three-note progression well <laughs> if you don't take that three-note progression how are you going to how are you going to make up a new song yeah, I mean, I often listen to songs and think, oh, it really reminds me of another song I've heard, and it is the little melody in the background. And yes. it's hard, you know, if there's so much music, it's very, very hard, I think, to make music that doesn't remind you of something else mm-hmm. because you can be inspired yes. by music without even realising that. Yeah. You can almost make a bit of music without really realising you've well, heard it and that's what's inspired you to do it. Right. Well, poor old George Harrison got successfully sued for copyright infringement and the the judge said it was unconscious copyright infringement Mm. for his song my sweet lord over the song he's so fine if you listen to the two songs they're completely different and yet the three note chord progression is identical Mm. and you know and and to make matters even worse poor george couldn't even he was musically illiterate he's a brilliant composer but he had somebody else he'd sit there and he'd jam on his guitar and he'd say, okay, I think this is a good song. And he'd have somebody else write down the, mo- the notes. So <laughs> he definitely didn't know what he was doing, and yet he got nailed for it and mm. um, had to you know, had to pay this other side some money. And then most recently, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, they won the lawsuit, but it turns out that they, they copied pretty much uh, substantially the opening riff for Stairway to Heaven from a group they used to tour with. And so at least George could say, hey, I've never heard of the Chantels. Maybe mm. I heard them on the radio sometime, but yeah. I have no idea. But with uh, with um, Led Zeppelin, it was like, you know, 
you toured with this band for over a year. You heard them play this song, and then yeah. you, you, you you took it, man. But they they won the lawsuit. So. Cool. So yeah. a lot of it's opinion on who's got the most money, then. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's I'm true. Sure. Yeah. yeah, Jackie um, had another question actually, and she um, also asked. Where do we stand with using the work of dead artists as inspiration? For example, she says that uh, she has some style or she's stylized yeah. some classical oil paintings in Sure. Ink. Well, it, it, this comes down to, again, whether or not the copyright on those works has expired. And so, for example, you know, it, I, <laughs> I, I, know, I, I know somebody who, uh, who paints – and there's somebody in this person's studio who uh, rips off Van Gogh's Starry Night and paints it in different colors. And um, there's everyone is kind of looking at this person like, oh, you know, you're not what's your style? Oh, it's Vincent Van Gogh's style. We see that. Um, so that's a little that's a, a little bit, you know, you, you kind of you you kind of endanger your reputation as a creative artist when you rip off other people's styles completely at the same time you know van gogh's bold brush strokes in the sunflower i mean mm-hmm. i would love to see some some paintings of surfing using that technology so again if you're looking at it for inspiration um you know i i think that the fair use defense would uh protect you on that uh, with this with this person in the art gallery who's copying Starry Night and just making the colors a little bit different, if Van Gogh still had a, or if Van Gogh's heirs still had a copyright in his works, um, this person would be in some trouble. I've got a question from Margaret Gray, and she says, "I'm interested in using vintage photographs. Yes, where does copyright come into photographs that are over fifty years old? Oh man, well, in, I don't know. I don't know the law in the UK. In the US, copyright is well, I just it's just an absolute mess um, that in general, anything shot before 1923 is probably public domain. But then in 78, 1978, we had another big copyright law passed. So say uh, if it's before if it's before the end of or it's before the beginning of the Great Depression over here, you're probably fine if it's from the Great Depression until 1978 um you you may still have the copyright in place and then today it's it's life of the author plus 70 years now to confound the issue there's some states where you can get a state copyright as well so the the bottom line here is to ask permission first and i have a actually a friend of mine from high school who's very much into uh documenting the, the the early history of some of the California cities. And what she does is when she finds a photograph, she sees where it's published. And oftentimes old photographs will be published in the archives of a university. And she'll write the university and she'll get something in writing. Um, preferably, you know, a letter, but email will be fine, stating that, you know, they own the copyright to this work and that they're licensing it to her, or that it's their understanding that note that the copyright, any copyright on this has expired. And that's the safest way to do it. And again, I don't know about UK, but in the US, because we've changed copyright law so often, it's it's really a mess. But mm-hmm. again, 
if it's World War World War One or beyond before, you're probably fine. Well, we've got another question um, which touches on stock photographs as as well here from Laura Grayson, <laughs> and she says, "What are the rules for using someone else's photograph or stock photograph yeah. as the subject of an original painting or a drawing?" Sure, that that would come down to the fair use defense. Mm. Did you transform it enough? Yeah. Um, and fair use again with 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 fair use. The, the goal here is not to let anybody off the hook, but to be realistic. And so um, if you the, – a, a court will look at four – well, the, there are actually five factors. Uh, did you transform it? Is it fact or fiction? If you took it from fact, there's less protection from that. Um, mm-hmm. How much did you take? Did you take it all or just a part? And uh, what effect does it have on the artist's ability to sell? So in other words – if you know, if, if you uh, to take Paul McCartney, if you um, put an article on the internet saying that Paul is one of the or Sir Paul is one of the few people who has maintained his vocal range from when he was in his twenties until he's in his seventies, and you put a short snippet of Paul McCartney singing "Help" with the Beatles and "Help" in you know 2017, and you notice he can still hit all the notes, but you just put enough there to show that he could do it. That's probably. Yeah, that's probably fine. You didn't cost Paul a sale of a record. But if you put all of help and all of Paul's most recent album on it and say, you know, you can you can download the, the, this this from Sir Paul, just pay me 20 bucks for it. You're taking a sale away from Paul. And that's that's not cool. And then the, the fifth is sort of an informal factor. Are you a good person or a bad person? Um, you know, why did you do this? Are you ripping them off? Are you honestly trying to to do well? So in this in this case, the question would be, do you fall under fair use and did you transform it enough? Um, if you used a stock photograph, then you've also got to look at, uh, did you buy it? And if you bought it, does it allow for transformative use? A lot of times it'll say so, you know, in the, in the contract you sign. I think it's there's so many free sites now, isn't there? With like Unsplash and Pixabay and places like that. I oh, don't yeah. think people need to do that anymore, to be honest. You know, I, I with my website, and I this is speaking as somebody who's gone through I don't know how many social media people and website people. I take all my own photographs. Mm. It's just easier, yeah. you know. I, and I I could probably have a much better website if I used you know stock photographs, but I just don't want to take the chance. You know, I'm a lawyer. If if I happened or if my web developer happened to take a picture, he or she shouldn't. I, no one's going to no one's going to give me any break on that. Say, oh, Eric didn't know any better. So, you know, for me, it's all my it's all my own work. Um, and I, I think as well, I think for me as a painter, I will get much more satisfaction from a painting that I've set up my own composition and I photographed it myself. That's why I don't use, I mean, people take a lot better photos than I can, but then I don't feel like it's completely come from me. Sure. It's it's my interpretation of someone else's idea. And and I, I don't feel comfortable with that anyway. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of art is to be creative and to, to, Mm. to, you know, kind of, uh, transcend you as a person into an artistic identity Mm. and if you're just painting van gogh's starry night in different colors what's your identity yeah you're 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 a van gogh ripoff in in my opinion and uh yeah yeah, it's like i i have i have a uh we we have a this place in 
Southern California called the Salton Sea, and it has an area of mud volcanoes. And uh, these are volcanoes that spit mud up into the air. As I flew my drone over the, the mud volcanoes, I took a, a certain path that ended me up right over the, the, the biggest one that almost splatted up and took my drone out of the air. But anyway, you know, so I flew that route. I thought, this is really cool. And then about uh, four months later, I saw there's my video and it, it, on, online. I said, wait, wait a minute. This guy ripped me off. And then I looked and I realized that, that he was at a slightly different altitude and that he didn't fly my exact path. But it was clearly, you know, he ripped, he totally copied my, the path that I flew. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> you know, I guess, I guess I'm supposed to be honored or something like that. And, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even write him and complain about it, but it was, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, maybe we've got 20 acres of mud volcanoes here. Maybe you could have figured out a different way to fly your drone. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be flattery, isn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to be flattering, but it's <laughs> sort of annoying. <laughs> yeah. I've got another question from yes. Victoria Xiao Tian Chan. I hope I've said that right. Okay. She glad, says, I'm glad you had that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she says, what about drawing portraits of famous people based on copyrighted photos on the internet or from magazines? And what about drawing based on TV stills, that sort of thing? Well, again, you're looking at a transformative use, which should be pretty easy if you're doing your own version of a person based on uh, a, a picture of a celebrity. Now, with celebrities, you've also got it, it's called a right right of personality in the U.S. I think um, where you're not allowed to completely take the personal identity of somebody. Um, but one defense against that is if they're famous, uh, that right rarely holds up because the you know, the, the courts feel well if you know if, if if you've done something to become a famous person, you're probably making money off being famous. So you have to deal with the fact that people are going to be taking your picture and drawing pictures of you. Um, here again, it would be the fair use defense and whether or not they transformed the work they, they used as their inspiration. The other thing when you're dealing with celebrities, though, is that um, <clears throat> rich people can sue and they can easily afford a half-million-dollar lawsuit just to prove a point, and you don't want to be the person who's at the wrong end of no. one of those lawsuits. <laughs> so, yeah. So again, <laughs> legally, you probably can do it. Realistically, if you've got a very litigious privacy seeking celebrity and you happen to draw this celebrity in a less than flattering light, you, know, you take a famous actress, and add 15 pounds to her, or you <laughs> take a, take a famous actor and you give him yellow teeth. Um, that may be worth a, a lawsuit out of spite, if not out of yeah. right. Yeah. Is it right that you that politicians are in public domain? Yes, they are. They are. So uh, there was actually a, a horrible yeah, – Barack Obama and I were born in the same hospital, so I've got a certain fondness for him. Um, there was a horrible caricature of his wife, Michelle, in which they, they made her look like uh, a monkey, and it was just terrible, and yet it was protected by the First Amendment. And so – you know, yeah, they're uh, and Michelle Obama never did anything to get in the public God. domain other than marry Barack and mm. encourage him to be become president. But you know, poor woman, she she's pretty much fair game. That's yeah. awful. That's yeah, awful. 
Yeah. Um, Victoria, she also asks, is it OK to include brands in your drawing? For example, MacBook with the Apple logo on it or a can of drink with a brand name or even shop fronts? <coughs> it probably is. I would most certainly ask for permission first because, again, I, I don't think Apple is a company you want angry with you. Mm. Um, if I, I, Legally, I think that there's no problem doing it. I would ask permission first. Um, but, but, but if it's a painting, sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. if it's if it's say a painting of an interior, yeah, and maybe it just says it's just a MacBook on a desk, and you've got that, and it's you've that, got the Apple logo, that's yeah. fine. That should it? be fine. That should yeah. be fine. I think that where you have to be careful is if you uh, if you if you draw a painting of Hades, and as a joke, you have all the you have all the devils checking people in, and they're all using. Apple products that might be uh, yeah. a little yeah. a, a little risky but it's okay to have brand yeah. names in within yeah. a, a painting sure it's just mm. like taking a picture along a street if you take a picture yeah along a street and there's a Ford car in front of you and then there's a Chevrolet dealership that's that's fine yeah yeah I've got another one from Victoria and she says is it okay to include a picture of someone's art taken from their website in your blog post if you're writing about them as long as you credit them it well yes and no it's not enough just to acknowledge somebody else's rights to it so for example i couldn't sell the beatles the beatles records on a website and say these are made by the beatles but you can pay me money to download all of their songs that wouldn't be right but in terms of uh, using somebody else's website or art, you can use it certainly for parody or for critique. And so if you're commenting on, say, a current event and you happen to put a picture of President Trump from CNN and from uh, Boris Yeltsin from uh, UK BBC together and say, you know, both these guys have blonde hair, that's probably fine. So say, for example, I was writing a blog post mm -hmm. and I put in Sandra's work and I didn't tell her. Yeah. So <laughs> if I That's exactly put, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. By, by Sandra, you know, if I put this is by Sandra Busby sure. and I link to her website yes. just because I'm saying I, I right. like her art or something. Right, right. Would that be considered okay? That would be fine because you're not stealing a photograph. You're not stealing her art. Um, instead, if you commented on it, that'd be kind of commentary and criticism where right. – you know, especially if you put her art and another person's art and you could say that, you know, this illustrates the difference between uh, style A and style B, that mm. would be fine. I think the important bit is to actually credit the artist, isn't it, and say, make sure that you link back to <clears throat> their website you, at least. You, you do need to credit the artist. That mm. certainly helps. And I find that um, it's probably a good idea to approach the artist anyway, because a lot yeah. of artists are so happy to get any exposure that yeah. they would act, they would actively work with you. Um, mm. I know one of the guys I, I wrote a nasty letter to about stealing my art. He and I ended up becoming pretty good friends. And so I, I, I he was a, a, a tour company in Thailand and um, my wife's from Thailand and we have a little place over there. So I, I, I sent him a whole bunch of stuff and said, hey, please put this up on your website. Maybe we'll get more people to go to my wife's resort. Uh, just, <laughs> just credit me and credit the name of the resort. And I think, you know, we're happy. And so anyway, you know, we, we became pretty good friends out of the whole thing. So oftentimes, if you approach the artist, the artist will be very, very open to, um, you know, not only 
allowing you to use his or her work, but actively participating with you and helping to make your blog post better. So we've got another question here from Illustrated Mix. And um, the question is, how different does a work of art or a piece of literature have to be from something in a similar genre to comfortably call it your own and not feel like you've breached copyright? I suppose it's down to that transformation again, it, isn't it? it? It is. And there's no set amount of change. Like we've got um, we've got a bunch of urban legends with um, intellectual property. And so, for example, one of the urban legends is if you take a product and you change it 10% from a patent, you're not infringing the patent. Well, not necessarily true. And the other one that we hear a lot is, well, if you take if you take a, a copyrighted object and you change it 25% or 15% or 17.35%, then you know you're okay. There's no set percentage of change that you need to do to be in safe territory. It really comes down to this fair use defense, or in your case, the defense of fair dealing. Um, and so there, I, I wish I could give you a set amount, but I just, I just can't. It really comes down to whether or not you can make a good case that uh, you're just, you know, you've transformed it enough, or you're not doing it for profit, or you didn't take it all, something like that. I've got another question. Uh, I think this might be of interest to a lot of artists, and that is, mm-hmm. what is licensing, and sure. what does it mean to license your art? Well, there, um, I deal with licensing a lot in the the patent and trademark area, but copyrights can also be licensed out. A license is essentially a rental. And if you if you have an invention, say you, you've invented a new wheel for a car, you can assign that. In other words, you can sell it to a company and they can make that wheel and then you get maybe 5% royalties off each sale or something like that. Or you can license it, which you say, okay, I'm going to license it to this company for the United States, but I'm going to license it to somebody else for UK. Um, so a license is more or less a rental. And you're usually, because unless you're, you know, the Paul McCartney of ceramics where you, you can license a piece and they can show it, you're usually licensing out the right to reproduce. Now, with licensing, there's a number of different factors that fit in. Is it an exclusive license? That is, are, is the person you're licensing, are they the only ones who can reproduce it and show it and sell it? Or is it non-exclusive? Or is it being licensed by different trade categories? So, for example, um, you may license it to somebody for sales on Amazon.com, but you'll license it to somebody else for showing in art galleries. Um, and so there are different, you know, there are different kind of uh, end, resu- end uses of it that you can license. Uh, the length of the license is also important. Um, are you licensing it? For a year or for the life of the author, um, and how is the the licensor, that is the person who owns the art, how are they paid? Are they paid a fixed amount? Are they paid like a one-time fee? I'll give you ten thousand bucks for that painting, and it's my painting now. I don't ever want to hear you complain about money again. If I make a billion dollars off it, I get to keep the money. If I make nothing, I lose money. It's no big deal, or you can get paid by the year or you can get paid a percentage of the sales. There are a bunch of different ways you can figure out how you get compensated. The last thing I want to throw in on licensing is that if you're the licensor, that is the person owning the art, you also want to retain audit rights. That is the right to go in and look at the licensee's books. 
because uh, particularly if you're getting uh, if you're if you're licensing out the right of uh, re reproduction, <clears throat> you want to be able to check the factory records of items manufactured in China, the shipping records, the incoming customers records, and then the sales records in the stores at which your work is being sold. And we really hope that those numbers all add up. <laughs> if you find out that twice as many are being made as are being sold, then you need to talk to your licensee about, okay, uh, what's happening to these, the, 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 the other 50% of my stuff? So where can people find out more about you and, and your business? Because I'm sure uh, that there are going to be people listening who okay. might like to contact you. <laughs> well, I, I'm very easy to find on the Internet. Uh, it just uh, my law my law firm website is uh, icipllaw.com. ICI that stands for intercontinentalIPlaw.com, and I've, I'm actually I'm probably better known as a drone flyer than as a lawyer because I got into the drone industry six years ago and it was just starting in the uh, the law industry has been going since 1776 over in this country so. Uh, if you want to just look up Eric Hanscom Drone or Eric Hanscom Law, that will direct you to um, my sites. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, I, my I, pleasure. I enjoyed it. You've been asking us so many questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I wish I could have answered more in a more concrete manner. I mean, I'd love to be able to say, okay, well, okay, if you're going to use somebody else's work and paint a picture, the picture has to be at least 18.34% different. Or something like that. But yeah, 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 really, it really comes down to knowing the law on fair use and fair dealing, yeah. deciding where you stand on that, and then looking at your potential opponent. Is this somebody who could make my life really, really miserable, even if I didn't do anything legally wrong? And there's a certain amount of just using your common sense as well. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's always, been really interesting. Really and always has. try to turn a potential opponent into a potential partner. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you ever so much. My pleasure. It was a pleasure. And I will I, I will send you a picture of my beautiful pig and you can put it on your website <laughs> if you'd like. That'd be great. Thank but you. But you're not going to do us for uh, breaching copyright, though. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll specifically license my rights to this pig to you. <laughs> I'll make an original painting of it then. Okay, there you go. I'd be honored. I would be honored. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much, Eric. It's yeah. My to pleasure. Talk to you. Take Sounds care. Sounds good. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes. <laughs>